Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Quake by the Lake Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andy Murray to discuss everything that went down on AEW's latest TV special. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Dynamite, Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, we hold a roundtable discussion every now and then and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture i'm jazzed to talk about this show i have a caveat slash apology in advance certain dynamite episodes spark my imagination and get me so hyped that i just threw all of my thoughts on twitter <laughs> in a buzz and this was very much one of them because there was so much on the show that i absolutely loved some of it was made what did you think, Murray? I was a hot mess in great ways and bad ways, I think. Um, so the bad ways are relatively minor, and we'll get to them, and they only lasted a few seconds. But yeah, it was, it was total chaos. It was uh, out of control. It was a mess. There's no better word for it, but um, I like messes. I, 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 I enjoy chaos. Um, I go home, and I listen to black metal to relax. <laughs> I, I uh, appreciate footballers, like uh, chaotic imports who come to your club like Aberdeen have one at the moment called Duke where the ball the ball lands at his feet and he's either going to curl it into the top corner or he's going to fall over his own shoelace uh, I would rather watch Predator than Citizen Kane chaos is my jam this show was chaos uh, and everything about it was careening out of control without truly going off the rails for me that's the perfect kind of wrestling show a little bit of Things in there that weren't great that tempered it for periods, but they were over in a second, and I was left with one of the most fun shows I've seen all year. Yeah, this is just so awesome at various points, and it began, in fact, on an awesome note with a coffin match between Darby Allen and Brody King. Brody King makes his absolutely sensational entrance to his own band, God's Hate, as always, and just as he's sort of doing his signature um, poses. Um, in front of the hard camera, he is blindsided by Darby Allen, who proceeds to absolutely kick mm. the living crap out of him with a skateboard, studded with thumbtacks, which instantly pours several, um, sorry, punctures Brody King's head. Lots of blood pours out of it. It's an absolute bloodbath immediately. It's fantastic. Um, 
King comes back with his absolutely colossal strength and size advantage, and he sends Darby Allen over the timekeeper's table with the most phenomenal bump, where it's like a somersault where... Darby Allen's just so good at bumping, man. I'm trying to describe this. You've seen it, but it was just so great. So he kind of goes over in a somersault rotation. His back collides against the table, and then when he flips, his face smashes against the barricade. It is incredible. Brody King then takes a skateboard. and is like, you piece of crap for doing that to me. Breaks it. This infuriates Darby Allen, who smashes him with an absolutely incredible, how did this look credible, avalanche cold red, from the um, top turnbuckle. Again, King gets the advantage, and when Darby fires up and is about to launch into his absolutely wonderful low pay, the lights go out, the House of Black appear, there's a three-on-one advantage, it goes on for quite some time, all the while, the protracted beatdown intensifies the demand to see Sting! (laughs) And what I can only assume was like a trapdoor on the coffin, because no one saw him go in it, and we saw it open and everything as well. He actually emerges from it. The score is evened up. The match then sort of settles back into this rhythm where King is just trying to kill Darby Allen. But Darby grabs a chain, wraps it around his neck, in a poetic mirroring of the start of this feud, he hangs Brody King, the visual is awesome, the storytelling is even better, and the bump was literally perfect. He didn't stumble into it. He didn't carefully position himself into it. He looked like he had died mm-hmm. and gone mm-hmm. into his actual resting place eternally. This was absolutely fantastic, and there's one thing I want to put over very quickly. You can tell stories without a script. You can tell score stories with bullet points from the people who are best equipped to tell them. You can sometimes tell wonderful stories with no words. Um, at one point during the House of Black Sting melee, Sting actually hands Malachi Black the baseball bat as if to say, come on, then you can even have that if you want to go. And Malachi Black almost positioning himself again as Sting's sort of mystical equal, the sort of the, the big bad of this feud, says, no, I don't need it. I'll get you another time on my own terms because we are equals here. How do you create an equal to Sting, you tell wonderful stories with mere body language. That is heading towards an even more wonderful conclusion from a video that we'll talk about in a little bit, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, why did blah, blah, this match, gee whiz. Talk about taking the first chapter, taking everything that was great from that, taking certain spots they've had in the past, like the choke, obviously, and kind of dashing it with a dose of traditional pro wrestling theatrics with the interferences and sting coming out of the the whole pantomime stuff they did in this match. What a wonderful flavor that I did not know I needed in this rivalry until it occurred. Um, The lights go out. You know what's going to happen as soon as the lights come out, but sting always has just these incredible moments where he pops up in a situation where if anyone else did, it it would be the goofiest thing in the world. Uh, And yet when you open a a coffin and stings inside of it and you're Malachi Black, it's the best thing ever. He's of course uh, selling the mist with the intoxication around his eye, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, the, oh my God, these guys were destined to kill each other, these these two wrestlers. Um, Brody King's caveman wrestling style is right up my street. Um, kind of speaks volumes that even in the match with all these great spots and all these great bumps and whatever, and the, the Code Red was particularly awesome, working for the Gonzo Bomb on the apron, gee whiz, he's trying to kill the guy. Um 
through all of that, like some of the most impactful stuff was just Brody punching him. Yeah. And like chopping him and stuff. Like, Oh, there was one that was disgusting. Yeah. There was a little punch. I say a little punch before Darby went over the table as well that looked just like a straight shot right to his mouth. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. It's just extremely satisfying, beefy, jaw rattling, concussive, almost action wrapped up in this theatrical bow with all the interferences and the perfect conclusion, the kind of hoisted by his own petard. It's his chain that he wears to the ring and it's an escalation of the choke spot that won the battle royal and was then echoed in the set in this first singles match they had together yeah just a really great second chapter different yet the same uh exactly what you want from a sequel i i need to see these men killing each other again in the future perhaps uh in the trios match yeah that was heavily um hinted towards later on in the broadcast one more thing that i want to put over and it's a darby allen bump funnily enough like Brody king like you see people eat guardrails every episode of Dynamite. It's got a great sort of like rattle to it. They're not as heavily foamed as the WWE one. So of course they're gonna make that noise, they're gonna get the crowd reacted uh, reacting to it. There's one where Brody King just launches Darby Allen right. Um he does this like sort of flip over the barricade via his goddamn back of his neck yeah. into the crowd. It's like it's not advisable, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Just, it looks awesome. It looks like you are literally being murdered. Like, Brody King's never looked as much of a monster, and Darby's just so underrated. Visual of blood pouring down corpse paint is so awesome oh as my well. Yeah. So perfect. Like, he comes out, and he looks like, like a member of Gorgoroff or whatever, and then immediately... You have this red stream down the middle. Great visuals go a long way um, when supplementing something as wonderfully ridiculous as this. Speaking of ridiculous. Yeah, just the aesthetic, the mystique, the body language, the aura of all of this. I'm just obsessed. I think this feud's been absolutely tremendous. Um, And on the subject of tremendous, we got two really great, short, succinct, um, to-the-point promos, a pair of them between John Moxley and Chris Jericho, building up their interim world title match later on in the show. John Moxley says something to the effect of I really wanted the last survivor of the heart dungeon, um, and I'm going to push you to the breaking point, and if your fighting spirit doesn't break, your body will. In retaliation, uh, Chris Jericho said that Stu Hart was vicious and sadistic, um, and he didn't really want to think about what he endured in the dungeon until that night. Uh, Bruce Hart must be quite the uh, <laughs> quite the trainer. Um <laughs> And he says, basically, I'm going to stretch this out of you and leave you with lasting scars. I was the first AEW champion. I will be the next. Now that's at the top of my head, just in case I forget to mention this right. What's so wonderful about fiction in general, but AEW's approach to it, is that if you want to be pedantic about it, and you want to think about it too much, right, Chris Jericho didn't really graduate from what is traditionally known as the Heart Dungeon, right? He didn't. I don't think Stu had a major hand Mm. in his training and all the rest of it, right? But if you tell the story well enough, right, and you are so convincing with it that you will suspend your disbelief and go with it. So I just want to put that over very quickly because he wasn't really exactly trained by Stu Hart. Maybe you give him a stretch for fun for a few hours on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stretching now. I'm stretching for fun. Yep. Yep, like Bruce Grobelar yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Anfield rap. Yeah, the only time you will ever hear Bruce Grobelar and Stu Hart put on an equal footing. Where? Why would you go anywhere else for your wrestling analysis? I've just got no, absolutely no idea. Yeah, 
Oh, the match was solid, and at least it's a storyline. Says ninety five percent of the pro wrestling Great action critical, down the stretch. Critical goddamn community. Uh, we we'll get the brackets for the AEW World Trios title next. Uh, the first round matches. Seventy five percent of this is utterly scintillating. Quite bold as well by Tony Khan's usual sort of uh, slow burn um, booking philosophy. Death Triangle versus Will Ospreay and Aussie Hope and oh my god. Oh Ospreay yeah. with the three of them. Ugh. It's going to be so unbelievably special. We're getting them. Um, Andrade El Idlo, Dragon Goddamn Lee and Roosh against Young Bucks and potentially presumably Kenny Omega. House of Black versus Dark Order and uh, Trustbusters versus Best Friends. Mm, yeah, Parker, Parker Boudreau has had an interesting introduction to life. Let's wax on this stable a little bit. Yeah. Um, because if you, I, I appreciate that not everyone is watching AEW Dark, um, you have a lot of wrestling to keep up with in a week. I get it, a hundred percent. I don't always keep up with it myself, but yeah, they've came, they've come to life on on Dark, and it's Slim J, who's a former Ring of Honor guy. It's Aria Davari, who's now Ari Davari, and it's Parker Boudreau, who is the former at Harland. And last week's episode, not this week's episode, was Harland's first appearance, um, but it was also. One of the most on-the-nose bad things, violating the core tenet of good storytelling, that being show, don't tell. Slim J and Davari had this squash tag team match, and right, they come out to a pastiche of the Jane's Addiction theme from the TV show Entourage, which I, I cannot think of a single TV show over the past 20 years, there's aged as poorly as Entourage, yep. right? So you've got that, and you've got the James Addiction-esque theme song. It's coming out. It sounds exactly like Superhero, the song that, that was the show's theme. They win. Uh, Tony Schiavone, bless him, I love him, literally asks Davari, Hey, Ari, did you change your name to Ari <laughs> because of Ari Gold from the TV show? My goodness gracious me, that is some, um, uh, that's not even WWE level of subtle hammery. And then you get a Harland squash, sorry, a Parker Boudreaux squash where, um, you know, it's still very early in his development cycle. I'm not going to trash the guy, but he's extremely green. He has this line, they they interview them again, he has this line after the, the match and people are, chanting garbage at the act and I can't tell if it's because they think it sucks or if it's good heel heat I think it's unfortunately probably the former he goes I've arrived and people in the front row literally burst out laughing about yeah. the poor guy it's it's really rough viewing I'm, I'm really concerned um, about putting this stable on television uh, yeah I mean hopefully that's a squash for the best friends right because this is uh, it's, it's, it's a really a really unfortunate start. I'm behind, right? Or I've forgotten about my AHFO law. Are the uh, Butcher and the Blade and Private Party still on somewhat friendly terms where they'd interfere on each other's behalf? Yeah, they had a 10-man tag with Angelico on on Dark recently. I thought that was the case. Why can't you just have three out of that four? If you need need a heel group for best friends, as opposed to maybe a kind of a side-aisle Dante Martin and somebody else kind of deal, which would be great for a trios because they're all great high flyers. Or even Jay Lethal, Sting, and... uh, Sting? (laughs) Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh. at least they've been on telly. And, sure, you know, sure. But regardless, I mean, even yeah. I mean, one of them would have to take a fall, but hell, you could do like a Blackpool Combat Club thing. That's the thing. Like that. That's the perfect vehicle for trios. It sort of it 
yeah. reconciles the thing with Tony Khan, where he's got this absolutely incredible roster, but he's afraid to beat half yeah. of them. The perfect thing with the trios match is you can get a, imagine Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite. You can have Danielson and Omega doing stuff, and then you can have like Utah and Matt Jackson potentially taking the fall, whoever yeah. has to lose. There's just absolutely loads you can do with that device, and it just, but look, I'm not going to complain because look, 75% of this bracket is absolutely incredible, and it's a departure from. Yeah, yeah, we it, sound it is, miserable here. Yeah, it is, <laughs> the tournament it's, rules. It's, it's, the tournament rules mostly, and it is a departure from Tony Khan's, like, sometimes, like, far too predictable and nonsensical opening yeah. brackets considering who isn't and isn't like, a particularly strong or featured character. Um, up next, we get the Tornado tag between La Faction Ingobernable, um, Andrade El Idolo, and Rush against the Lucha Bros. We haven't talked about this. I'm very interested in your opinion. My broad opinion, I'm not really going to recap this match because yeah. it was literally just move, How could you? move, move. You recap this, uh, it would take 10 minutes. Like, there was so much in it. There was just it's loads absurd. and loads and loads of content and content and content. You've, if you've not actually watched the show, but you've seen what these guys can do before, well, how I would describe it succinctly is it was incredibly impactful, fast-paced, without that kind of delirious invention that makes mm. you lose your mind and think, how on earth have you orchestrated that sequence? So that was sort of not quite the case, but Roosh in particular was just drop-kicking people in the head so hard <laughs> that it was really, really compelling. It wasn't the tightest match you'd expect, um, but it was certainly compensated for by how brutal it was. And the general gist of the story as well, for the millionth time, Penta tassels at the back of his uh, mask or is undoing they get double knotted into the ropes which to be honest like if they're going to do this again and again and again i do appreciate the tweak so the tweak here is that they are double knotted so you absolutely cannot untie it quickly enough to save his partner who's getting double teamed so in a really good twist to a really tired device he actually removes the mask and for a split second he breaks to save up a pin he races to break up a pin sorry and he hides his face immediately afterwards. And the match proceeds for another two minutes. Mm. So they have tweaked the formula, but such an easy out to beat the Lucha Bros. And they took it again. Look, I was probably expecting a little bit more, if I'm being honest. But I'm kind of in love with Roosh. Mm. Especially switched on Roosh because he's not always the no, most... He uh, <laughs> he's not... Uh, basically, Will Ospreay in 2019. Whereas I like, sure. don't work that hard on WrestleMania weekend, mate. Sure. Don't do that. He's not quite that, but at his best, he's just great. And he's he was brilliant. the, he's my favorite part of this match. I yeah, think. yeah. It's a great spot fest, this. It was a cocaine match, really, wasn't it? It was just uh, a little, uh, a little messy at times, but perhaps to the match's detriment, uh, to the match's benefit, I would argue, um, it, that it felt a little chaotic and off the rails. Uh, to me, often that's a good thing in pro wrestling. I, I kind of want that recklessness to it not that i've ever watched this and thought anyone wasn't was in danger of getting hurt um except when roosh is doing his full force bull's horns at 100 miles an hour but ultimately it's a safe move because of the way he hits it and his knees going either side of the head and all of that stuff so it's the magic of his offense it's just it's so hard hitting it's like he's not the most diverse wrestler in the world but who gives a damn when he can do stuff like that and when he can make it feel like it hurts so much and look that way as well yeah it was kind of AW spot fest formula, wasn't it? It was spot on spot on spot, pop on pop on pop, layer, 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 escalating, escalating, escalating until you get to the dramatic point at the end with the mask and stuff. That mask, for better or worse, uh, has been the story of the feud, snatching it away and various other things. So, yeah, I mean, 
Penta choosing to fall on his own sword, kind of by pulling himself away, exposing his face is, I guess, a uh, logical development in that thing. Hey, look, we identified a story, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very satisfying on kind of like a firework display popcorn kind of level. Some nice typical Phoenix bouncing off various ropes to do various moves to various individual stuff. Uh, yeah, you're right. Not really the cutting edge out of this world. How on earth did you do that kind of match that you sometimes expect from them in this spot? But, you know, we, it, it's still a good snort, shall we say. a great time. Yeah, I, I had a really good time watching this. I thought it was awesome. We agreed on this. We possibly are not going to agree on the segment that came next. It was the Young Bucks, filmed by Brandon <laughs> Cutler, um, running into the Dark Order and Hangman Page backstage, right? When you're a 36-year-old man, right, and you really love a pop culture thing, music, film, TV, wrestling, whatever, you can have the capacity, and it doesn't make you like it less. You don't have to defend these people in real life. You can admit, all right, parts of what I love are sometimes a bit bad, or, you know, the seventh studio album isn't quite as good as the third. Mm. You can accept these things, right? One thing I will accept with my otherwise head-over-heel love affair <laughs> with the elite continuing story which is kind of unprecedented in all of pro wrestling. And I just admire the cross-promotional um, ambition, the fact that no beat gets lost, the fact that beats get dropped and picked up three years later, as they did here. I'm more than willing to accept, because I'm not a deranged stan, that Matt Jackson's acting can sometimes be incredibly, incredibly corny, right? I kind of think you will think this was corny. I didn't actually think it was that bad. <laughs> there was a ton of exposition. I don't think the actual content of the promo was written elegantly there was a big info dump he was basically telling you how he felt without showing it i'm not suggesting mm. in any way shape or form that measured against something like the wire the sopranos breaking bad twin peaks whatever that this was incredibly great dialogue you were told a lot of this in a massive flurry in what was kind of an unnatural conversation that you wouldn't really have so there was that to do with it but i believed in matt jackson's performance where sometimes i really think he's struggling for a, um, a gravitas and a, and a naturalism that really is like sort of beyond him. But I did think by the standards of something hokey and rule-breaking-y by telling Don't Showing, this was actually really good. And I think maybe I'm being forgiven, uh, forgiving, because it just ties back to one of my favorite story beats in all of AEW history, where because they were in the semi-main with a ladder against Penta, the Bucks refused Hangman Page's request to second him at All Out 2019. And this speaks to the core of the story and the, the the character dynamics that they've been trying to sort of experiment with is that there's no true healer babyface. Um, each character has a really understandable position. This creates conflict because it's not so cut and dry and it just sort of births storytelling. Hangman Page refuses to um, accept Matt's offer to team with him, although he does accept the apology and they do seem a bit more amicable um, because he says, look, I've made a promise to the Dark Order. They've had my back. I'm going to have theirs, so much so that I'm not even actually going to enter the tournament. I think he is. There'll be an injury angle. Um, I just need to have their back where they had mine, and it just ties back so elegantly to All Out 2019, and I thought that was a wonderful, uh, just wonderful touch. I do think Hamman Page will, one way or the other, force himself into a Dark Order trios. Um 
I'm talking a lot just because I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on all of this? I think the story, the like, the plotting, I think, is immaculate, really, um, for all the things you've just described. And then the future goings on, uh, kind of like a reluctant hangman being forced to step in for, I don't know, 10 or whoever, uh, name an injured person who could pull out of the tandem, having to step in and face people he's trying to make good with. But, oh, here's ultra bastard Kenny Omega, who... Uh, is he going to return as a face or a heel? How's that going to influence the Bucks? How's that going to play into his relationship with that? It's like really, like the plotting is great. It's it, anyone who denies, well, I mean, I hate using terms like objective when describing art because I think like, and we disagree on this. I don't think there's such a thing as objectively good or bad, anything. Um, but if you can't, kind of look at the story they've told here over the past really preceding AEW, so like four or five years with all these guys. I would say five years from yeah. 2017 is when it really started, when BTE really started yeah. to become more episodic and less of a backstage tour diary. Yeah, so you kind of have to look at all of that and the effort and the, 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 the clear plot lines and the thought that's gone into it and gone, like, I mean, that's really impressive. Really impressive across the board, especially to do it in a medium like professional wrestling yeah, in the era in the year of 2021, when you know the recent, the latest scientific studies that emerge suggest that we as human beings actually have worse attention spans than goldfish now, yeah, because we're all fried by social media and we've all got smartphone addictions and we don't read books anymore and anything can just distract us straight away. So yeah, that's me putting it over. Um, this is a sudden dramatic change of pace is going to make this sound like a burial, but I thought, unfortunately, I thought the segment was extremely amateurish. Um, it's the exposition dump. It's the sad boy stuff. It's the bad acting. It's like, there's no great shame in this, right? Because like 99% of wrestlers are terrible actors. Um, I guess Matt is, has been decreed as a better one than Nick, hence why he usually handles these spots. But the guy sounds kind of like nervous beyond even his character's nerves. Obviously, his character has this mental hurdle to, to, to leap of him, like reaching out to Hangman, which they did in the text message that he deleted on BTE, which is another example of the really good plotting. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this type of segment is just never going to be for me. It's sad boy stuff. It's, it's, it, it feels like a sub soap opera, not even a good soap opera. Um, so I'm never going to enjoy these things playing out on my screen. I can just sit back and appreciate what they mean to everyone else who is invested in it, because that's what a fair critic does. That was an incredibly reasoned, spirited back and forth debate about the merits of a pro wrestling storyline. It's actually very easy to do if you're just willing to accept that sometimes the thing you like can sometimes be bad, or at the very least, you know uneven or flawed in some kind of way. Um, and again, I just want to put one more thing over here, right? Is that every now and then, Paige will either not be on Dynamite or he'll be on Dynamite or Rampage for a short amount of time or you'll wear an outfit that people doesn't think Major League, right? The AW fan base at large, I generally think, are smart enough to really pick up and stay the course with this storyline and he's going to remain forever over and whatever yeah. part he plays in this is going to come out with thunderous reception. So just... Let it play god damn out. Up next, we get a pretty redundant um, thing, if I'm being perfectly honest. It's Luchasaurus in action. And yeah. whenever they do this, you know it's angle alert. And yes, matches have to happen for the rankings and all the rest of it, but sometimes it's just so redundant and obvious the direction in which they are going. And Jungle Boy comes out for commentary. Luchasaurus, I 
nailed it, by the way, but it's got, yep. the, it's got the wrong match. I hate you for manifesting this. Yeah. <laughs> I knew the workhorsemen were going to get kind of buried or something or just treated as total yeah. afterthoughts. Like, there might as well be a, like, just pick a jobber and the workhorsemen are treated as it. And it's yeah. just so weird. They, they get brought in, like, local... You can get a local indie guy to do this. You could have got Ryan Nemeth to do it. Yeah. Yeah, like... <laughs> you could have got a local indie guy or a an actual goober character who you're paying um, a fixed fee as part of a, a short or long-term deal to do this. But no, they get a guy who realistically, at some point, I think they're going to try and get fans to buy into the workhorsemen as a tag so. team. And it's going to be a struggle. Yes. On the yeah. back of uh, weeks like this. But anyway, Luchasaurus kills him in a minute. Um, he, does he do the, um, that terrible submission? He didn't do it, did he? No. Um, Hopefully they'll drop that. Finished him off with the fossilizer. Fossilizer, yes, absolutely. And anyway, so it's all pretext to Christian Cage uh, talking on the Titan Tron, or whatever it's called, the big screen. And for how little this lasted, he's still got this wonderfully withering turn of phrase where he said, you know, I would come down and slap the shit out of you right now, but makes an excuse because he knows that Luchasaurus is there, so he's absolutely not going to do it. Um, at the sight of um, Christian Cage, and I did like this element of it, he has said god-awful things about his deceased father, and he's turned on him, and he's betrayed his trust. There shouldn't be any Invisible Wall stuff here whatsoever. No. Jungle Boy should want to kill him or badly hurt him every single time they're in the same vicinity. So they do this, but it's all a bit wonky. Um, it's not particularly great. It's all a bit redundant. It didn't Pat really, Marquita headbutt. Yeah. Poor yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really advance the story in any meaningful way. And AEW is sometimes guilty of, right, we need to remind the guys that uh, this storyline is in fact still happening. And it just creates several redundant angles or backstage yeah. interruptions per show. This, for me, was one of them. Yeah, I totally agree. That's exactly what I said in my entry in the article. Um, so I won't necessarily repeat all of that because we've just covered it. Uh, yeah, redundant. Uh, if this if this feud was at step three coming into the show, it is still at step three. It didn't, it didn't really push anything forward as much as I think like Lucha, Luchasaurus's performance was quite effective. Uh, I'll be a mark for just half a minute here as well for Anthony Henry. Uh, I understand why they use him in these spots. He's great. He's going to do a professional job. He'll come in, um, you know, indie guy. This is like a, a relatively big spotlight, I guess. Um, so fair play. Like, I'm not, I'm never going to criticize a guy getting work uh, and all of that stuff. Um, he's just so good, though. He's so good. Like, they, they could put him on TV in a regular role and he wouldn't look out of play. He's a great looking guy. He's a great wrestler. Uh, one of my favorite indie wrestlers of the year from basically January onwards. I think the first match I watched him was against Adam Priest for an indie show earlier. I think it was Action or, or one of those companies. But yeah, he's wonderful. J.D. Drake's wonderful. Uh, re- I would like to see their roles reconfigured a little bit. He's too good for this, man. Like, it's, he's too good for this. I'm a mark for them, folks. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are as well um, in nerd circles. Or snob circles, or learned discerning circles. There you go. I'm going to be a little. I, bit I like nerd. I like nerd. I don't like snob. Completionist. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so what's another word? I Loser. <laughs> <laughs> the the searchers. The searchers. The taste makers. <laughs> the taste havers. I used to be a taste maker, but then I couldn't be asked. Keeping up with the Joneses is exhausting. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really, really difficult. And I'm rewatching Miami Vice. Up next, oh, we get nice. S- that's yeah, a vibe. That's to be a fair, vibe. It's such a vibe. Twenty twenty two. You've got to create vibes, haven't you? Do you know the protagonist Big Dom. of uh, Miami Vice? Yeah, Crockett. Right. Guess what? He keeps as a pet. 
A flatty? Yeah. Get in. He's got a flatty for a pet. <laughs> I've never actually watched that, Miami Vice. It's very, very dated. Vibes, though. But it's vibes. Yeah. Like, there's, like, nighttime yacht drug deal chases oh, with, yeah. like, drrr, like, the synth theme. Yeah, it's yes. awesome. I'm more into vibes than quality in 20. Right, like Miami Vice. And there's a flatty. Boom. And there's a flatty. Um, up next was the segment, right, which I kind of hated and liked at the same time. It's impossible to really earnestly hate anything Miro does because he's so awesome. But when he does these darkly lit promos, right, it's not, and I'm such a broadcast, make this all believable nerd, right? It's kind of invisible camera, even though he's talking directly to the camera. Maybe the implication is Miro's just sort of a devoutly religious guy who likes his peace, his meditative states, to talk to his God, and this is all my head cannon, and maybe it's a part of the building that he's in. But then Julia Hart interrupts the promo, and it's like, ah, uh, it just feels like, no, that should be his solace, his solitude place, and it just it just felt a little bit overtly cinematic in stage with the fact that somebody else appeared and shot. Yeah. I know that's highly pedantic, but that's just how I felt about it. Regardless, the content of the promo was Miro talking about his temptations and Julia Hart saying you should follow the darkness, just like I did. I'm beginning to like the dark. And Miro said, no, I'm not going to do that. Piss off. What I am going to do, however, is accept the gift gratefully and use it against the House of Black whose path I am advancing towards. Mm, yeah. What's the gift? Uh, just the eye. Yeah, I guess. The power of the eye. Yeah. The, uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not intoxication. Like corruption. The, corruption. There we go. The the Malachi Black brings to the table. I wonder if, do you reckon here maybe, they, because Julia Hart was just in the ring like two minutes ago, do you reckon here they were going for the idea that, that she's in his head or something? Either way, like the construction of it is obviously going to be divisive. And I agree. I echo your, your sentiments there. But um, the uh, good promo from Miro, it always is. He's a great TV character. He's a great TV guy. And the ensuing trios match is going to be incredible. Yeah, Boom. absolutely. Absolutely. Boom. Um, your boy Powerhouse Hobbs is asked backstage um, about being just done with Ricky Starks. Um, he's interrupted because it's AEW by QT Marshall and the factory. Hobbs basically warns QT to not let his problem become mine and all the rest of it. And then we get the weirdest low point of this goddamn show, which I've got significant problems with. Oy. The Jay Lethal Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh act I'm not a fan of, right? I think Sanjay Dutt is so try hard. <laughs> so abrasive. Okay. Choose such scenery that I just find it like to me it's not a naturally annoying guy just being annoying and me wanting people to shut him up. It's a guy desperate to get over <laughs> with every nanosecond of his being and I just find it so desperate. Okay, we disagree on that. I yeah. I like him. It's very raw, don't get me wrong. It's very TNA. Uh, when TNA was just trying to ape raw, uh, but I think I think he kind of realizes he's a bit of a dork, like with the pencil and with the angle they had the other week, where he accidentally talked himself in the space of about ten seconds, talked himself up into the trios match with best friends, and then immediately went, "I can't do this. I'm a loser. What am I doing?" And lines like uh, Wardlow, "I'm a big guy. You're a big guy." I think he knows that he's a. He's a loser, but uh, the delivery is very raw. So, like, I get it, but I'm totally into this. I love him. <laughs> so I, I like the I, there's something about the act on paper. I know he's like playing a deluded character, but I just think the performance is like it's a bit like Abraham is. <laughs> at least, at least he can fight a little bit, you know. Yeah, oh no, I know he's yeah. a, you know, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know who Sanjay Dot is and everything. It's just the original player from the Himalayas. 
That's awesome. It's great. <laughs> it's just calm down. It's when I can, like, feel someone desperate to get over and maximize sure. their TV time that I just I just get put off. But I anyway, get it. They enter the yeah. ring. And they talk about the events of Battle of the Belts, which is more than Tony Khan did ahead of the show. <laughs> and uh, they give Wardlow an offer. Um, either they rematch or we'll just take the title off you. Wardlow comes out um, and he said, like, you can have a shot if you wanted it, but I'm just going to whoop all three of your asses. Um, he goes to the ring, but on the way down, he's joined by former Pinnacle teammates, FTR, and then some kind of pretty useless circling the ring and then Jay Lethal tries to come in, but he gets his ass kicked. Thing happens. So maybe this is going to be a trios match leading to a TNT t- TNT TNT title rematch or whatever. I'd love to see Wardlow versus Satnam at the Papier because it would be such a great, ridiculous visual. The power bomb, if it's even physically possible, would be awesome. It would go all of four minutes. I think that kind of match is perfect for these increasingly very, very even more long than normal AEW pay per views. I know um, Forbidden Door was the exception, but whatever. Sure. What I hate about this is that FTR were announced as appearing on the show in advance, right? What were they going to do? Had right. This is very WWE, and I, will, I hate it when WWE does it, and I hate it even more when AEW does it because I expect so much more, right? What were FTR going to do on the show, Andy Murray, if Sanjay Dutt et al. hadn't come out and summoned Wardlow? Because when this was announced, obviously FTR had no idea this was going to happen, mm-hmm. so what were they advertised to do? This is it. This is it, isn't it? Um, Why even do it? Yeah, it, it, it would just feel like a bit more of a believable, uh, less um, contrived situation if they just showed up, you know, spontaneously to help their mate who their support of was the cause of their rift with MJF and their kind of slow burning babyface turn. So, yeah, no, I agree. It was a curious choice to pre advertise the appearance. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. At the very least, if you want to defend it, at least they have faith in FTR delivering a segment. Because I never, I don't think they've ever been the biggest ratings guys. More yeah. like in-house, in-arena pops and loads of online cult praise. I'm not giving it a pass, actually. I'm not doing that at all. Yeah. Uh, we get some remnants of the Jericho Appreciation Society backstage, 2.0, Daniel Garcia, and a JAS. Um, it's basically... Um, Further building the main event by saying Jericho is going to be Le Champion Pod de, which is absolutely fantastic. And Garcia calls out Danielson, we'll find out later, and calls himself the Dragon Slayer. Um, and Anna Jay finds someone walking by, I don't actually know who it was, um, and says, do you not think he's a Dragon Slayer? I'll choke you out in a continuation of that gimmick. Let's talk corporate synergy for one second, right? They are doing an, a House of Dragon branded cross-promotional show <laughs> The American Dragon versus the guy who slayed the dragon is now calling himself the Dragon Slayer. Now, what you've got here, right, is a corporation asking another corporation to put over another property of the shared corporation property, right? It should be nowhere near as good or as well thought out as this. So you get, right, we've got dragons, dragons. What can we do with the dragons? All right, we're going to do... We've got an American Dragon. And we're going to do Danielson versus Jericho, presumably at the paper. We could build that up by having the dragon slain to create unpredictability about that result. And in the process, get a young stud completely over by beating the dragon, who happens to be the greatest wrestler of all time, or at least one of the two or the three. Like, it's just so thoughtful. Yeah. I love the thought, Murray. I love the <laughs> effort. I love the creativity, even for something as dumb as a tie-in. And they've, uh, on a more superficial level, who else is on next week's show? Dragon Lee! Dragon Lee as well. Yeah, it's cute, isn't it? It's just really, really cute. It's like, 
This is a lot more elegant in construction than, like, say, for example, the Rick and Morty crossover, where it was just like, hey, the ring is a teleporter now. Yeah. <laughs> Pickle Rick. Lubba, lubba, dub, dub. It was worth it just for that. Rubber dub. Yeah, that was I've never watched a single minute of that show, but something about, something about, like, people in McDonald's jumping on tables and going, Szechuan sauce makes me never want to see it. I'm sure it's great. I've watched the first two seasons, right? And I think it's really good, but I don't love it. Mm, Yeah, good call. I still don't know. It's really, it's ridiculously inventive. Yeah, it seems quite clever. People attach to it in quite an annoying way. Yes, I I know. Yeah. It's kind of like the AEW sexuals of cartoons. Yeah, or the Vincels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To balance it. Absolutely. What would the TNA version of that? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. TN assholes. TN assholes. I'll do. Although it's like impact now, so I don't know. Gimp packs. Gimp packs. <laughs> because, <laughs> Ricky Starks versus Aaron Solo. Um, a the Wrestle Circus Tag Team Explodes match, if you will. Extra talented. <laughs> yep. Extra talented. Um, and basically, it's incredibly short. Um, the finishing sequence to this was unbelievably great. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can even describe it. So, um, Solo tries to counter the Rochambeau. Um. Ricky Starks ducks underneath like this bicycle kick and then literally the nanosecond that Solo pops back up has been anticipated by Ricky Starks who spears him out <laughs> of his boots the second those boots have just returned to the canvas. It is great. I would I honestly watch this and thought, give me eight minutes of this. Yeah. Like, if this is the chemistry you've got. This yeah, is awesome. Yeah. Ten seconds of my life were great. Yeah. And then the post-match happened. Yeah, the post-match was absolutely terrible. Just to quickly recap before we discuss the whole thing. 
Um, Comorato attacks Starks. Um, he's able just about to fend him off before the inevitable numbers advantage catches up. And just as QT Marshall, who's been portrayed brilliantly, I might add, as a total goober, motions to go for Starks. Starks like, runs away and poses in the crowd. Yeah. And this, I should mention that he um, hits Comorato, who's sort of the proxy for Hobbs. He's a big guy. I can actually hit a big guy with your finish, Hobbs. Um, so he does that, which sets Powerhouse Hobbs off. He's very upset by this backstage, breaks the TV. Uh, I get the reasoning of keep Starks on the show. Don't do your rotating cast when a guy is as hot as Ricky Starks. Find a way onto the show, but don't make him look like a bitch. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that this Minneapolis crowd, which was tremendous all night, was waiting for the guy who has just con- conducted this red-hot babyface turn to run away from an enhancement stable um, after beating Solo. The match was good, like, three minutes or something, and it was all fire, like, the, the finishing sequence. Like, you can just tell straight away when two guys have been working together for so long, uh, they're just completely on the same page all the way throughout, working towards that finish, and then... Yeah, no, the post-match just wasn't good. Um, so I get it, right? It's four on one. Is it five, four? I lose count because I'm dumb. Uh, I'm very dumb too. Yeah, we're all stupid here. We watch wrestling. Uh, I'm only joking. And I, for me, a go-go does demand like a degree of protection because um, I think they do have something in him whenever they choose to to go back to him. And, and you know, he obviously has... Uh, lots of credibility with his boxing experience and all of that stuff. So he's a guy you don't want to make look like an idiot in a segment like this. Um, so construct it a bit differently then, uh, because Starks looks like a wimp. He looks kind of he looked kind of riot squadish when he got up the stairs and he was like, "Hey, hey, I'm so elusive, I'm wacky. Look at me, I'm Ricky Starks. That's not what I want from Ricky Starks." And then you go backstage, and Hobbs looks weak as well. Because he's taking this little fit where he pulls the TV off the wall. You're powerhouse Hobbs. Go and kill him. Yeah. Go and wreck him. Like, it would have been a bit more elegant in construction if something had been done, some kind of mix-up, because QT Marshall's a goober, right? You could have a go-go accidentally punch him, right? Because Starks is ducked. Then a go-go's like, oh, no, that's my trainer. Starks, you know, gets out of there. It's a bit less cowardly. Who's that coming down the, the stairs? The Hobbs kills him yeah. on the staircase or something. There's a lot you could have done that would have been more effective here. They just kind of made the two, uh, the protagonist and the antagonist both look stupid. Yeah, I think if I'm going to be generous, right, it's two kind of opposing forces that Khan likes to employ, just clashing badly. Everyone, or virtually everyone, is associated in a stable. It'd be weird if the heels particularly didn't back up their guys and... He wants people to not touch. He's got the big Taz Sabu brain yep. to make his pay-per-view matches like really sing. So sometimes when he's trying to separate two acts, he actually reduces them. Yeah, is my broad takeaway. And we get an interview with the Gun Club backstage. Billy basically is absolutely bollocking them for losing the match that he made famous and a potentially incredible development. Right, <laughs> a new faction appears to be before, forming before our very eyes. And if you look at the players involved. This could be so annoying, so funny, and so beneficial to one guy in particular. So it looks like Stokely Hathaway, Ethan Page, the Gun Club Kids, and uh, Moriarty. (laughs) Can you imagine the 
sheer obnoxious glee that these guys are going to have. I know I've just buried someone who's obnoxious, but this could be really good obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. It's what a wonderful pairing of human beings. Grandpa Ass working here as well. Um, we have Beardhausen facing off against these gentlemen on Rampage this week. What, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's chaos, but I enjoy it. I, th- I think Stokely Hathaway with these guys could just do some absolute yeah. magic, and I look forward to seeing it. Uh, we get the bit. We would, we've talked a lot about this, so I won't um, – I'll just recap it. Uh, the best friends um, get interviewed backstage, and again, then um, stop the interruptions, man. Yeah. Tell stories in a better, less redundant, less repetitive, less fake way. And basically, Daivari, and again, on the subject of tell stories in a less redundant, less repetitive, fake way, asks him to join a stable. Jesus Christ, how many... Every AEW stable initiation attempt ranked from worst to best on what culture. At this point, you get like a 500-point freaking <laughs> list. And but Orange naturally dismisses him. And that's, uh, you know, you've already established, right, that best friends are in a competitive fixture in a tournament for a championship against the Trustbusters. Why advance it with some stupid initiation angle? Like, what is the point? Yeah, I, I, I am befuddled by all of this. Well, honestly, I, I know we've got enough of this show left to recap, right? My least favorite example, I think, of this didn't actually happen. But if you recall, when Danielson came out and went, "What a bummer! I'm not going to be on uh, Blood and Guts or Forbidden Door." Uh, this is what you could have had. This is what you could have won. It was very bullseye. He said that I know Chris Jericho has paid off Zack Saber Junior. Um, to beat me up ahead of Blood and Guts at Forbidden Door, but unfortunately, I can't make it. Why did Chris Jericho have to pay Zack Saber Junior yeah. to beat? Danielson up when the whole point should be the entire wrestling world is split in their opinion of who the best technical wrestler in the world is. We both value that title so much. Why couldn't that have been the story? Yeah. For Christ's sake, stop. Tony Khan, right? He's a 10, except he attaches meaningless stakes to fixtures. (laughs) Up next, (laughs) this is a fixture and not a particularly great one. It's a TBS championship. Jay Cargill defeats quite handily Madison Rain in spite of um, some really ironic attempts at veteran escapes and prowess. So basically there's a yeah. bit where um, Kira Hogan's on the apron and she's, it seems, managed to lull Madison Rain next to her, but Madison Rain, using the veteran instincts, moves out the way and Kira Hogan eats Jade Cargill's boot. That sort of initiates a comeback sequence of sorts. And there's a half-decent attempt at a reversal of the Jaded, but then it's reversed again. But ultimately, and it's not ideal remotely this, Madison Rain, who's going to be coaching the next generation of green and promising women, did not enter an accomplished veteran's performance here at all. No, this was quite clumsy, wasn't it, Um, across the board? And, uh, yeah, I I hate the whole culture around botch discourse. I think that all of those Twitter accounts should be fired into the sun. What's the... What's the fictional name that they think Aubrey Edwards invented? Don something? I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, Don should take down all those accounts. They all suck, apart from Matthew. He's the only he's the only one to ever do this in good faith. Uh, but there were quite a lot of them here. There was, you know, one particular, uh, the, the neck breaker from the top rope. It was either mistimed or someone was in the wrong position for it. And it was just, yeah, it was a... Unfortunately, quite a dysfunctional match, um, which is a shame because I thought the layout was, you know, quite smartly put together. Um, 
Maddie reaching into her more experienced bag of tricks and all of that stuff. It's fundamentally a good idea. It was just a little bit clunky. It was pretty clumsy, execution-wise, all the way over. Um, they at least endeavoured to establish that story of the veteran having more tricks up her sleeve than the relative rookie, uh, but it didn't come across particularly well on TV. And uh, Very yeah, ironic, in fact, I thought. I, I agree, and uh, kind of a shame, absolutely, um, given the circumstances. You know what I buried yesterday? The and I tried to coin a term, the na 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 baby face WWE booking where it just feels like just get out of the picture here. Reserve your reckoning and your justice for a time when you're not looking like you're being spiteful or cowardly or whatever. We've got this on AEW Dynamite when Athena attacks Jade from behind, and yes, I understand that. There's probably some segment I've forgotten about where that would theoretically justify this kind of attack, but it's just a bit of a Cowardly move, I thought. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it's exactly the yeah, 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 yeah. It's playground stuff, really. Um, we've been waiting a long time to get to this match, so I hope it delivers. Yeah. The the brief glimpses we got in the tag show that they got chemistry. So, yes, it's about time that we got it. And I, I do hold promise for the match itself. And because it's lead is nine, I'm thinking, no, what a night. I beat you. Oh, I can't remember the times, and you know we're running low on Adam time. Blair. Where are you at? Let us know. He did let us know. Oh, did he let us I know? Just, like, like top dollar. I've basically tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Murray is mentioning top dollar at an hourly rate at this point. I, think, I don't know why this I'm is making happening. Making a, a tradition now. Every bit of content we do together from this moment forward, we have to mention top dollar. I, I don't hate it. I don't yeah. hate it. Um, <laughs> where was I going with that? Let him know. Yeah, but uh, anyway. All right, because this is lead is nine. I'm thinking, no, what a night. <laughs> we're running low on time because he's talking about top dollar, of course. Uh, but I, I know that I won, but I don't have the exact times. You'll get them again next week. Um, Adam Wilborn's a much better host. He's way more prepared, right? I've got a question for you. Moving swiftly on, right? <laughs> I can't tell if this was terrible acting or she's overcompensating for accusations of looking unprofessional or selectively interested or or motivated. Did you pay attention to Thunder Rosa's face at the beginning of her backstage interview with Shivani and Tony Storm? I can't say I noticed anything that stood out. Well, this is a an audio medium. Yeah. So the, the facial expression, right, that I'm about to pull is going to be of literally no use to anyone listening here. But she did this. <laughs> she looked like the, she put on the fakest, most unnatural smile imaginable for the first five seconds here. I don't know if people have gotten ahead about, oh, that Thunder Rose was unprofessional and she looks like checked out and she's only selectively motivated. And maybe she was either compensating for that and did this weird smile or she was trying to convey the fact that, oh, I don't like the fact that this tag team partner of mine is like really chased up the rankings and I've got mm. another date with her because she put up such a stern test. So I'm going to pretend to be nice, even though deep down I'm a little bit worried of the challenge. Ultimately, it was two seconds. Maybe no one cares, but it is revealed. Unfortunately, God damn it, Chris Tetland's knee's injured again. <sighs> I hope it really isn't as serious as the last time because I've been trying to die on the hill of they need to push her more because their performance level has been great this year. But regardless, the knee's injured. It's basically alluded to that Tony Storm's the number one contender in a match I expect to happen at All Out and not TV. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, sucks for Statlander. Uh, she's, for me, the vanguard of the division in the ring. And uh, I, too, have been yearning for a bigger position for her in this division because I think she's absolutely excellent. Since her reinvention as well, she's just become this ridiculous horse. Uh, 
really utilizing like the strength advantage that she has over most of the people she's been stepping into the ring with in a really compelling way. Um, yeah, I mean, the rest of it's kind of uh, it's kind of basic, straightforward wrestling storytelling. I don't want to have to face my partner, but here we go. I hope that they do the they do the kind of unraveling thing in the match where they start off a bit respectful and then get nasty with each other. I want to see like I want to see a completely self aware sandbagging spot. I'm not yes, that'd yes. be fun because Thunder Rosa's game for it. She's got the t shirt. She's she's running. She's owning it up to yeah, it now. She's yeah. running it. It's great. I'm going to go through the lineups, right? We don't usually do this because we like to save stuff for the preview. I'm very guilty of being such a nerd that I will fantasy book stuff on the review and leave nothing for the preview. But this Rampage lineup, Jesus Christ. Daniel Danielson returns and speaks. Great. He's going to cut some awesome promo at the expense of Daniel Garcia. Hook speaks. Great. We don't really see that very often. Gun Club versus Bearhausen. <laughs> Should be fun. Eric Rowan. Over delivers to a ridiculous level. Yeah, no, he's incredible. I well, love him. It's weird, it but it's weird. weird. It's like one of those where there's like two marquee matches plus Eric Redbeard being awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love Eric Redbeard. Like, I it's the Suzuki quote. He's awesome because he can't do. Sh- yeah, it's great. I love him. That's no, a wonderful analogy <laughs> for him. But maybe on a you know if there's Danielson or Punk or whoever or Mox on a show, yeah, yeah I'll have a bit of Eric Redbeard, but not with the rest of this. <laughs> Parker Boudreaux versus Sonny Kiss. Are you trying to get Rampage cancelled? Poor Sonny Kiss. This is Sonny Kiss's first TV match in over a year. I think the last one was like October 2020. And he's going to get squashed in 40 seconds. I I love Sonny Kiss. Like, why? Do something nice with Sonny Kiss, please, Tony. Why? Why? He is going to get buried in like 40 seconds. Yeah, by Harland. Who's terrible. I've arrived. Mm. What's that on Dark? It's... It's terrible. Mm. Swerve in our glory speak. Yeah. Orange Cassidy versus Ari Daivari. It should be good, but... Yeah, Daivari's good, but... Bland. I, here's the thing, though. Like, Cassidy, Cassidy takes like a relatively mundane-looking recipe and gives it the seasoning it needs yes. to, to go to another level. You look at his recent run of TV matches. Um, but again, if it was like second match on the card, Cassidy doing yeah, this, yeah. headlined by something awesome... Or really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, then yes, I'd absolutely go for it. But unfortunately, we're not getting that. For the mixed AAA tag championships, we're getting champions Sammy Guevara and Tay Mello against Dante Martin and Sky Blue. Like, I'm not being funny, right? Is he trying to get the show cancelled? <laughs> like, I'm not at this point. Like, why is he not? I understand he's got stuff to say for the pay-per-view. And with the trios tournament, maybe next week's Rampage could be very good. But even if that is the case, it would be an aberration because these Rampage episodes, like, even when they're good and they've got mm-hmm. entertaining wrestling, it's such a weird... It's three or four matches, the result of which are never, ever in doubt. And this show is, like, failing. And I know that might be a little bit hyperbolic because it still performs well in a bad time slot. But it's still not doing great. It's getting beaten by WWE documentaries on subjects yeah. that are so tired. Worn to death, some of these. Yeah, it's uh interesting discussion, obviously. The numbers are right there for anyone to look up. Um, I think, and this is purely me speculating, that there's an acceptance within AEW that this time slot is never going to yield traditionally good numbers um, and therefore, why should we bust it and put 
these things that might raise the the demo up to a point one seven instead of a point one three or whatever it was last week. Um, that's my read on how these shows are booked because I can't remember the last time I looked at a di- uh, rampage lineup and went, "Oh man, I really yeah. got to tune in and see that." I do got to tune in and see that because it's my job. Um, but there you go. I'm just gonna. I want to take a quick look here at last week's numbers just to see if we can, uh, you know, put put the the performance of the show relative to other shows on the yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's the, fair the fairest way to do it. So last week, the 5th of August, it was actually top in its time slot with a 0.15, which is obviously um, good to be top in your time slot for sure. You're in the top five cable shows on the night. Kind of hard to... Kind of hard to go too hard in on that. The previous week uh, would have been the all-time low, I believe, at least in the 18 to 49. So obviously that's not a good trend. Um, It's, you know, I could sit here and find the nightly table for that, but that would be horrendous audio while I look at a website. and Check my notes. Yeah, yeah. For sure, it'd be a great match. (laughs) Russell, some paper. Tell them what happened, Mike. Um, So I'm not going to do that, but I imagine it was not in the top five with a point eleven or whatever it was. So yeah, I mean... The debate on the the debate on Rampage's numbers ninety nine times out of out of a hundred lacks nuance. It's uh, usually partaken in by people who are not arguing with the best interests in mind. This is true. Um, I still like a good show. Me too. Me too. I just think they've given up on trying to chase numbers that they can't realistically achieve in a bad time slot. That's my that's my read on it. And yeah, this lineup is um I I it's will something be else. I will be fast forwarding through some of this. The great thing about watching on an Apple device with my Fight TV player is that the Apple device when you full screen it, it's got the plus 15 second button on the bottom. Oh. So if something's not tickling my fancy on Saturday morning, you know, probably a fair bit of this show on. Fire stick guy on fight. Fire stick. Nice. See, I'm a, I, I, I mix it up. I mix it up. Rampage is like, it's Friday night, it's Saturday morning. It's very difficult for me to like, I like I like weekends to be for me and my partner. I don't want to do too much else. So like finding the motivation to watch the wrestling the night before, even if it's been really good, it's, it's like, I've got to do it now. I've got to do it as soon as I wake up. I wake up at five. I'm a monster. Right? Yeah, same here. Yeah, my body just goes, hey, pal, you're awake now. Tough. Um, I'll I'll get my coffee. I'll sit there and I just watch the wrestling on my iPad in bed because it's nice. It's relaxed. But if it's a big pape, if it's a big show, I'm putting it on the big screen, baby. I'm getting the big whole experience across the board. I like a balance. I like a balance. Me too. You know what else I liked? Terrible segue. What a hack segue. Regardless, <laughs> I I'm telling you now, right? I was in love with this main event. For so many different reasons. I thought this was absolutely fantastic, well thought out, special. I can't believe how much I love this. I've got a tendency, as we all do, against my better judgment, it's total like instinctive muscle memory where I'll sometimes go on my phone. I never used to do it with Dynamite. Maybe this says something about the the recent quality of the show, or at least this year. But sometimes I just get drawn to my phone. I was glued to this for every single second. It's the interim AEW World title match between John Moxley and Lionheart Chris Jericho. They go, f- they get the pay for white zombie. <laughs> he's got the tights. He's got the jacket. He's in such awesome shape. Imagine Chris Jericho doing Lionheart in 2019. Right. Or 2020. Right. You can't do that because he does not look like Lionheart. Even nine months ago. Yeah, I know. Before he, the Fozzie tour. And he does now, and it's incredible. It's this wonderful thing. And he performs just about 
as Lionheart. He's quite slow sometimes in credibly transitioning and countering a submission. If I'm going to be pedantic and have a complaint, but it's Jericho. You let him get away with it. He's telling such a great story with such immaculate pacing that you think, oh, that took a second, but it's fine because I'm yeah. back into it, right? Yeah. I've got no, one more complaint. Jim Ross is a total liability. The idea, right, is that Lionheart Chris Jericho was not, in fact, trained um, intensively by Stu Hart, right? But they're trying to sell you that, right? The idea is that Lionheart Chris Jericho is pretty low on the list of his famous personas, like the, the Bockwinkle, the Y2J, Le Champion, um, all the rest of it. Alpha. Mm. But they are trying to tell you the story. And because he looks the part, because it's so inspired, for a reason I'll get into momentarily, your people buy into it. And this, the nostalgia helps. And then Jim Ross on commentary goes, oh yeah, Chris Jericho's always been an overachiever. Um, I remember having conversations where he needed to improve back in the day, and it's like, right, that's a WWF thing you're talking about, right? And if you're saying he wasn't there then, what does that say about Lionheart who entered wrestling before he entered the WWF? Yeah. Like, stop it, Jim. You're not on your podcast, mate. Yeah. And he's out of nowhere. went, I don't like the interim titles. And I said, well, that's good, because you're calling an interim world title match. Yeah, stop using this as your soapbox. Yeah, it just pisses me off. You're there to enhance the action. If there's if there's a hole or a flaw or whatever, it's your job to disguise that, not, yeah. not manifest it from your own mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he doesn't, more often than not, he does a bad job than a yeah. good job. And, he's, and the worst thing is as well, like, people have the, the take, and I, I've agreed with it at times, where it's like, right, okay, he doesn't like watching The Best Friends. He doesn't like watching The Lucha Brothers. Um, he doesn't like watching trios, matches, or ten mans. But you put him in a big time serious main event, and he still got the magic, has he? Because this was a big time serious main event, and he actively pissed me off twice. Um, and it was more pronounced because I enjoyed so much. I adored this match. Clear four and a half for me. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And the story basically early is that Jericho was performing as Lionheart. Right? He's been requested to play Lionheart, and they're working his. They're embellishing his experience in the dungeon for the purposes of the story. The purpose of that story is the Blackpool Combat Club, as Moxie revealed on the sessions, was heavily inspired by the Heart Dungeon, like this ultimate test of character and will. And if you can get inducted into this absolute gaggle of hard bastards, how hard must you be? It's such an inspired thing to fictionalize. Like, evolution but good. Suck it, right? <laughs> so you want Lionheart because he's, he holds the dungeon in such reverence, right? Yeah. So that's great. And it's an excuse for nostalgia as well, right? But also, Jericho willingly accepts the invitation to be Lionheart because he's like, all right, well, actually, you're an expert grappler and I can channel my Lionheart persona to counter it with a bit, a bit of larvae technique. So I just love that story because that informs the first part of the match before um, the bombs happen and it's a traditional American TV main event with a bit of Mexican influence, with a bit of grapple f- influence, but it's paced and worked, especially with the, like the Hurricane Rana and all the rest of it, and the submission teasers, like a big-time American, North American TV match. And I thought this was absolutely sensational. The pacing was immaculate. The crowd was absolutely locked into the journey. Have you ever heard a wrestling crowd who've reacted massive to Chris Jericho for 30 years? That being said, he works a sort of style, right, that doesn't necessarily get holy sh- moments or anything like that. These fans were so into this match, which was so immaculately paced, the submission teasers of which were so prolonged and yet they never took the piss, even though they milked it for all it was worth because they're two masters, right? 
they were so into a Jericho match that they chanted fight forever at him. Yeah. It was yeah. awesome. This crowd was locked in. The storytelling was so great. And it had an intensity that was amazing throughout. It's obviously a John Moxley interim world title defense. That's what we get. John Moxley bladed, of course. By the end, <laughs> when Jericho was bleeding and he was in the bulldog choke and these two men are coated in blood, I'm legitimately feeling a bit scared. Yeah. And it's awesome because they're working this match really safely snug, yeah. but they're not dropping each other on the heads too much and or at all even. They're just working the struggle, the blood, the selling so well that I'm thinking, is he going to like die in this choke? <laughs> is he going to get choked unconscious to death? The finish was like, I was literally like alarmed watching mm-hmm. it because the blood-soaked visual and the way they just sold the submission struggles throughout was just so intense and so perfect. Man, I'm going four and three, actually. I thought this was... Hey. He's talked up an extra quarter star. I love it. Uh, yeah, it really looked like he was going to pop Jericho's head off his shoulders when he oh, just... God, yeah, that's here. a perfect way to describe it? it. Jericho, he did this against Kingston as well, didn't he? And this is, it was obviously, you know, more about the snug submissions and stuff like that. But against Eddie, it was like, yeah, pal, you can drop me on my head. This is my first King's Road match. Let's go. Um, yeah, it, it was a great, fantastic, awesome match. It was it hit the ceiling. Uh, it actually exceeded my four-star ceiling that I laid out yesterday. Uh, I'm a conservative marker. I'd probably go four and a quarter, which by my book is most man's four and three quarters because I'm a grump. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen a single five-star match this year, for example. Some people will tell you they've seen four or five. Um, I would say you're too lenient if that's your skill. But, 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 this ruled. This ruled across the board. I am a sucker for the simple thing of guy is broken, guy has been beaten up, guy's tank is near empty, guy has to do something really desperate. So John Moxley going to the top rope twice was extremely yeah. uh, my kind of stuff. And being Moxley, he goes for a double axe handle. Of course he does. What else is he going to do? A shooting star yeah. press. Um, he, he It was kind of like the reverse of when they did that in his Ishii match in the G1 where Big Tom had to fly off the top. And it was like, well, you don't do that. I mean, Ishii's... That was king. awesome. Yeah, Ishii's kind of the king of that as well because he did the Hurricane Rana, the Avalanche Rana against Omega and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't Tanahashi doing the reverse, the poison run at Omega. Yes, to complete, given the narrative of that yeah, match yeah. as well and what what it represented. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Jericho just keeps doing this in 2022. He keeps doing it. He had the Eddie match. I thought he was fabulous at Forbidden Door. As oh, he was well. awesome as well. Yeah, yeah, man, just just great stuff. I like like I really enjoyed the Utah match too. Um, here we go. Just, you know, and it, it it was a performance that showed the full breadth of who he is in 2022 as well. So, yeah, he does the lave stuff. And it's like, oh, look, he's doing some Negro Navarro stuff here. Uh, I'm watching one of the old masters or whatever from Mexico. And then uh, that I like how that kind of befuddled John Moxley. Yeah. He's like, what the hell are these? <laughs> I, I, I'm no lave guy. Uh but, you know, the, the hypocrisy of his character comes through later on because Sammy Guevara tosses him the bat and it's like, okay, we're getting some sports entertainment stuff here. We're getting the nasty brawler side of him in spades. We're getting him going after the knee and attacking it and wrapping it around the post and that being Moxley's disadvantage. So you got everything that Chris Jericho is uh, in 22. Everything that Every good thing that Chris Jericho is in this era of wrestling, and it made for a wonderful title match. I thought a very giving performance from him as well. Not that I ever thought he was a selfish wrestler, but yeah, uh, Moxley kicked out of the Yes, Judas. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, he kicked out of the Judas effect. First time it's ever been First done. First time ever, exactly. That's a kill shot in AEW. 
Um, he uh, gave him the the code breaker as well, the, the counter spot. It's always a kick out, but it, it was a really good one. It was an avalanche one as well, yeah. which is so inspired Precisely. because it made you think, oh, actually, you might get him here. Also, I'll give it an extra eighth of a star for the thing that he jumped into with the code breaker. Usually, they just do a jumping nothing. Like, they just jump into it, and it's like, well, what were you trying to do there? Moxley was going for a double axe handle. Yes. Yeah, it's perfect. And the execution of the actual counter as well. Yeah. I've seen ugly ones, and that absolutely wasn't it. Yeah, what I loved about this as well, just on top of so much else, I genuinely adored this match, is that if you are ever going to not waste the Judas effect, but give it to somebody, right? Do it to John Moxley, because the second I saw, if he's kicked out the Judas effect, that maybe adds a little bit of credibility to the fact that he could be punk. Just those mm. little things of when to do things. That's what wrestling is. That's how you get the most drama, is when to do it. And the fact that they placed it there, I thought, was a real attempt to make people think that Moxley was going to beat CM Punk at all out. And we know that match is happening because, oh my God, the post-match. So the post-match is uh, the JAS attack, John Moxley. This draws out because this feud is still sort of continuing. Um, remnants of the, uh, the BCC and Santana and Ortiz and all the rest of it. And then when it's not quite even... Cult of personality hits, absolute mega pop. CM Punk has been stumbling around looking haggard and pained at Comic Cons like a week ago, and he's hopping on his repaired foot because he's an absolutely fantastic worker, knowing that if he was to really lean on to the fact that I might be absolutely knackered here, guys, it's going to inform this relief and this catharsis of this incredible pop. And he hops around, they go face to face. Mox tells him to fuck off. Punk kind of Riley smirks in that way. Claudio and Mox are like proper, like, get in, lad, you've just won a match. Even in that tiny moment, I know they're trying to no-sell Punk at the same time a bit, but it's like people happy that they've won. Yeah. In stables. <laughs> did it, you did it, mates, get in. Mates are good, aren't they? Mates are good. Treating massive title yeah. matches that you've just yeah. won as these huge moments worth getting gassed over is fun. It's an entire presentation from the start, White Zombie kicked in. This is almost literal wrestling perfection. Even Sammy Guevara's face when he whiffed the throw was like, oh, Christ. Yeah. He didn't look too, like, oh, I've buggered this up. He looked a little bit embarrassed at the same time. It's basically full reaction in the moment. That was great as well. This is absolutely phenomenal pro wrestling. Um, let me know your thoughts quickly on the punk return before uh, we wrap up. It was a triple shot of espresso as soon as your alarm clock has gone off. Arm hairs on end, heart pounding through your ribcage kind of stuff. Simple, effective, and uh, a convenient proof of my general opinion that the simple stuff is the best. This is just... The simple stuff's the best, but it's only made simple when you put so much graft into putting characters over, strengthening characters, letting them have a library of really expressive, great work. And then when you put pit them together, all you need is a stare down. Mm-hmm. You can't reverse engineer a Triple H on NXT into 2019. Right! Had to get that dig in. I had to get that dig in. Let us know your thoughts on Dynamite. Am I too much of a mark for this main event? I don't think so. But anyway, you can still let me know underneath the Twitter link to this podcast at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're on there, you can follow Andy Murray at... At Andy H. Murray. The H stands for Hula Hoop. Ah, A very overrated crisp. You reckon the salt and vinegar ones are fire? Mm. I've got a theory on salt and vinegar where it can only be a crisp 
Discos, terrible. Squares, oh, terrible. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ruler hoops, not good. Oh. A Pringle, I can just about get away with. That is an atrocious take. Salt and vinegar, I'm a... Uh, Discos are the best. I'm a purist when it comes to the salt and you vinegar suck. <laughs> just the whole... There's something about the, the texture-flavor combination with the traditional crisp yeah. of salt and vinegar that no, nothing else can replicate. It just feels like it's substitution. Mm. I mean, anyway. I think that people who prefer cheese and onion smell. They literally do as well. Yeah. I can't. I really feel bad about Smelly eating. Smelly person's crisp. Smelly crisp, yeah. 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 Gods. Walker's salt and vinegar crisps are absolutely undefeated, followed closely by a sour cream and onion prinkle. Ooh, okay. Okay, so th- those are two good choices. Uh, maybe I'm just not a very harsh marker when it comes to crisps. Or maybe I'm just a mark for salt and vinegar. Maybe. Maybe. Let us know. Anyway, at What Culture WWE, you can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Um, coming up either later today or tomorrow, depending on what we goddamn well, feel like. Well, let's, let's not make any promises just yet on any specific All right, okay, absolutely. Our way, um, following and, a message I've just received. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, enjoy your weekend, We might be everyone. back. We might be. Maybe. We'll anyway, even if you even if we don't come back, we would still like very much to thank you for joining us. And again, right at the very end, we need to put over AEW one Travis Acreator on yes. Twitter for creating a absolutely wonderful sign, putting over myself, Andy Murray, Adam Wilborn, and Michael Hamflet. We really appreciate the effort you've gone to, and thank you for buying front row tickets specifically to do that for us at your great expense. Thank you, Legend. Travis. Thank everybody else who listens, and we'll see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.